Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the covenant that God made with Noah and the relevance of God's covenants in our lives today. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. I will destroy, make thee an ark. Just keep those always in your mind. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. Because the on the earth way of life is just to have this preoccupation, this fixation, this obsession to be worried over. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study in Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. The on the earth way of life is to have no interest in God whatsoever. It's to find a short discussion about God and the Bible as boring. And to have an intense study of the Bible and God as being downright painful. Like sitting in a dentist chair and having a root canal without anesthetic. <laughs> That's what it's described as in Psalm 10:4 when it says the wicked through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. In Psalm 10:6, he has said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. See, that's the framework. That's the mind frame of the on the earth. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to be moved, and I'll never be in adversity. And if I ever do die, there will always be enough morphine for me and loud music and headphones as I'm dying in the hospital bed to go to nothingness, annihilation. And it was very interesting, and you might want to turn to this in Exodus 18.21, because this was advice given to Moses on how to establish a management structure. I mean, after all, he had an organization of millions and um, a very content Jewish people. And so he had a problem on his hands. Moses did. And he got this very, very good practical advice, which we use. And it's in Exodus 18.21 where it says, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of the people. Now notice the qualifications and let's number them. Number one, able men, such as number two, fear God. Number three, men of truth. And number four, hating covetousness. And place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of ten. Let them judge the people at all times and so forth. Now, everyone wants to know the secret of choosing a good management team in a business. It's very important. The success of, of uh, not only Scandibus, but all companies is due to their managers. They run the company. They run parts of the company collectively. They run the company. Good managers will make a company. Bad managers will break a company. And so it's very, very important. But what you want to know is, how do you choose a good manager? And these verses tell us how. Because the verses tell us that, well, what's the first criteria? For, what's the first qualification for a good manager? Verse 21, what is it? Able men. They must have an ability I've seen businesses where family members were put in positions that they had no ability to manage, and it's just a disaster. I've seen businesses where people have been promoted up into an area that they had no ability to do just because of time they had been there and they didn't, couldn't manage. That was a disaster. So the first thing to do is to find a person who is able. He can do the job. 
But most companies stop there and they say, okay, this person has the ability to manage, so we'll put them in the position. But Moses was told, don't stop there, not so fast. Don't just choose a person for management because he has an experience in his resume. He's been to Kellogg School of Management or whatever school of management he happens to be in. And because there are three more qualifications which are important to have in order to manage people. And it's these are three additional qualifications given in verse 22. And they have to have, and what's the first? Fear God. Fear God. Fear God. And the next one? Men of, of truth and hating covetousness. Most businesses don't look for those qualifications. And what does it mean to fear God? A man who fears God is a person who lives with the under heaven way of life. He lives, he's afraid because he fears God because he knows God's looking at him. He knows God's evaluating him. He knows God's scrutinizing him. He knows he's going to have to give an account to God. That's what it means, fears God. He's under the eye of God and he knows he's not going to get away with anything even though man may not see him. And so you keep building on this. You say a man of truth is a person whose doctrine, what he believes, lines up with his life. It lines up with his life. And a person who hates covetousness, and that's very important in business, we might plug in a word, ambitious. A person who hates covetousness is a person who is content with what he has, and he's not so ambitious that he wants to look forward to get to the top, no matter who he has to step on or what he has to do in order to get there. So does this verse mean that the best employees are Christians? You don't have to answer that. (laughs) I will. (laughs) Not at all. Some of our worst employees have been Bible-believing Christians. We have caught Christians who can quote the Bible forward and backwards. They teach being involved in horrible, terrible lying and pornography It got so bad at our company at one time, as John said, okay, the next person who comes in for an interview, we're going to ask the question for the job. So what do you do on Sunday? And if that person says, we go to church, we'll say next. (laughs) But if that person says, I get together with my friends, we all watch football and we get drunk, we'd say, you're hired. (laughs) I mean, that's terrible to say, but that's the truth. Why? Because just because a person says he's a Christian, goes to church, knows the Bible, that doesn't mean that he's living in the under heaven way of life. Because the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It doesn't say, as a man says with his mouth, so is he. It says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So to see how Proverbs 27 applied today, we could paraphrase it and say, as a man writeth his emails, so is he. Or as a man writeth his text messages, so is he. Or as a man looketh on websites, so is he. Then we come now to verse 18, where it speaks here for the first time, It talks about a covenant. We remember now those seven very important words from verses that we talked about, verses 13 and 14. I will destroy, make thee an ark. And just as those words showed us that God always has his salvation there, in the same way that God is faithful 
to, in the temptation, make a way of escape. God is also faithful that in the judgment, he will make a way of escape, which is the salvation. So there we have this, I will destroy, make thee an ark. And so now in verse 17, he says, I do bring a flood. But in verse 18, bring these together, but with thee will I establish my covenant. See, same pattern. I do bring a flood, but with thee will I establish my covenant. This brings us now to the first mention in the Bible of this word covenant. I'm going to ask you a question now. What in your mind is a synonym? That's not something you put on toast with sugar. It's what's a synonym for the word covenant? Okay, contract. Well, some promise. Promise. Agreement. Okay. Contract, agreement. Okay. Very good. Contract, agreement, promise. Okay. Contract and agreement I'm thinking of, especially, because when you think of the word covenant as a contract or an agreement, that's a very, very contemporary definition of the word covenant. It's a contract. About 19 years ago, we as a company, Scanavides, agreed in principle to take over the manufacturing from a company called Carter Wallace of their pregnancy test called First Response. We'd never made a pregnancy test before. We didn't have any management. We didn't have any technology. We didn't have any building, and we didn't have any employees to do it. Apart from that, we were the first choice. (laughs) And so they were a little concerned. And at that time, it was the second largest pregnancy test. Today, praise God, it's the largest selling pregnancy test. And so they had lots of concerns, and we had lots of concerns. How do you address concerns when your company? You put together a contract. So we started on the contract crafting process. It was quite a process. And it went on for six months. It was very painful. Intense. Uh, Back and forth. And we had meetings during this time with different members of different groups in their company. We had meetings and so that the contract could contain the concerns of the research group. And then we had meetings so that the contract could contain the concerns of the environmental impact group. Of course, with the group of manufacturing, and then there was the group of quality control, and then there was the group of marketing, and the group of legal, and the executive group, and so forth. It was many, many groups. And it was intense, and we went back and forth. It was long meetings and flying out back and forth. And it wasn't just for the contract after you got started. We booked over 300 nights for them to stay in because the stuff was going back and forth. What were we discussing? Pricing and changes in pricing, especially whether there would be the product would be manufactured in the U.S. or whether it would be manufactured not in the U.S., i.e. Mexico, and how the lower-cost offshore manufacturing would be shared among us and what processes and manufacturing equipment would and would not be used or allowed to be used, and how the savings from the new lower cost, new processes and manufacturing equipment would be shared, and who would pay for the new equipment and the qualification of the equipment and the processes and so forth, what raw materials would and would not be used, and how those new raw materials would be qualified, and how the savings from the lower cost raw materials would be shared, what subcontractors were allowed and not allowed to be used, and how newer, lower-priced subcontractors would be qualified, and how we would share the savings, 
who would pay for non-conforming product, who would determine if it was a non-conforming product, what would the criteria be, who should indemnify who, who would pay for legal costs if there was a lawsuit for liability or patent infringement, who would store the amount of buffer stocks of finished product, how much buffer stocks of finished product and raw materials would be stored, what the payment terms would be, what the late payment penalties would be, what kind of annual cost report which we would supply, which is over 100 pages per year, and uh, what kind of annual marketing report they would provide to us, and how we're going to make changes in this contract, and what happens if either company is taken over by another company, which happened in their case, and when there were differences in the contract, that which state laws would govern, and how disputes would be settled by lawsuits or arbitrations, and there were terms for arbitrations. And on and on it went, and it went on for days, and we were spending so much time I don't like to use the word arguing, but that's about what it boiled down to. Arguing over words such as will and shall, or should it be must or use best efforts for, you know, all those kind of things. And this went back and forth, and it was a process that went on for six intense months. As I told you, we were flying back and forth, New Jersey, California. Believe me, I told them, I said, the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights was done with much less trouble. <laughs> and it's lasted 200 years. But we were finished with our 50-page document. It was our contract. And even though Carter Wallace doesn't exist today, that part of the division was bought by Church and Dwight. And the contract still governs today. It still is what we use since for 19 years. Hundreds of millions of dollars have flowed, have been governed by that contract. It's still in use. But when it was finished, we were very pleased with the contract, more or less, because the contract was the product of both parties, both companies. And it was signed 19 years ago, and it's still our contract. It's not their contract, it's our contract together. That's a contemporary definition of the word contract or agreement. It's created or modified or changed, sometimes it's a draft put forward, by both parties, with the participation of both parties. As a matter of fact, in the contract, it actually says that, that both parties participated in the creation of this contract. But certain words in verse 18 tell you that God's contracts are not that way. And those words are, I establish my contract. The word establish is a Hebrew word that means to stand up, get up, rise up. So in other words, God is saying here, I will cause to stand up my covenant. So the covenant that God makes with man have no input from man. They have no input from man. And that's the difference between the contemporary view of a covenant or a contract and God's covenants. It is an agreement because most of the time it does involve man. If there is an if clause, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. Tom, today you talked about covenants. And you spoke about contracts, and most people are familiar with contracts, but for many the term covenant sounds so religious. Why is God's covenant relevant to our lives? Well, we have to focus on one verse to see the relevance of God's covenant to us, and that's Hebrews 9.15, which reads like this. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, or covenant, that by means of death, For the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. This 
verse gives us a the key to understanding why God's covenant is so relevant to our lives. Because what it speaks about is the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did. And what he did is that he was the mediator of the new covenant or the New Testament. In other words, he was the one who brought about into reality, into authority, into force, this new covenant. When he stood at the, at the Last Supper and took that wine and held it up and said, this is the new covenant in my blood, drink ye all of this, he was holding a cup in his hand, he was holding a cup in his hand of wine, and that in, in that within 24 hours, he, his hand in the same shape would be nailed to a cross, and this time he wouldn't be holding a cup of wine. There would be his literal blood that would be coming off of his hand, and then people would remember that he had just said the night before, this is the new covenant in my blood. See, so he says here that, so, so what it says here is that, is that he brought about the new covenant by means of death. In other words, he died, he died, it was his blood. This is a new covenant in his blood. This is very relevant to us because in Revelation 1, it says that he loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And then it speaks about for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament. The First Testament was essentially the law, this do and live. In other words, uh, live up to all the Ten Commandments perfectly, live up to all God's law perfectly, and you will live. So right away, we don't have to go any further than to say, we failed, we failed, we failed, we failed. And so therefore, we had the transgressions, and the only way that we could be saved is to be have redeemed, to be redeemed from our transgressions that we had because we broke the first covenant. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do, we could not perfectly keep God's law. And God doesn't have any concession for, I'm only human and I'm just like everybody else. No, we're talking about a holy, perfect God here. So the only way that we could be saved was by a redemption of a second covenant or a new covenant or a new testament. And so, and the, and what he said is that the reason why this is so important to us, it says, because we, that we might receive the promise of eternal inheritance, an eternal inheritance. You know, if we have an inheritance here on earth, or let's say that it, maybe we received it from somebody else, or, or we have it ourselves from uh, our gaining our own wealth and possessions, one thing's for sure, it ain't going with us. There's no, there's no U-Hauls following Hearst, and you, you can put all you want inside of a coffin there, but it ain't going. And all the wealth that the pharaohs put together and surround themselves in the pyramids, archaeologists dig up today, and it didn't go with them. So those are not an eternal inheritance; those are an earthly inheritance. But of, so what we really long for and we want is an eternal inheritance, riches and provision and. Safety 
safety and security that will be with us for all eternity. That's an eternal inheritance that only comes to us by the New Testament, by the New Covenant, by his blood that he shed for us to pay for us, to redeem us for our transgressions. As Peter said, you are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. So why is God's covenant relative to relevant to our lives? Because God's covenant, his new covenant, is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that paid for our sins, that redeemed us from our transgressions, and bought for us an eternal inheritance. Amen. And Tom, the Bible also has many things to say about covenants and testaments in general, but as a believer, what should I focus on about God's covenant? Yes. Well, the most important thing to focus on when it comes to God's covenant is the fact that it is God's covenant. This is what it says in Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. In other words, before the world began, God promised that there would be an eternal life. And we have a hope. This is the great hope. We have hope of eternal life. And the the Lord Jesus Christ said so clearly in the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have this hope of eternal life. But what is the hope based on? My hope is based on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hope is based on God. And as it says here in Titus 1-2, God that cannot lie promised. He didn't have to promise, but he did promise. And because he promised, it's God who promised. It's God who cannot lie who promised. And he promised this, and therefore, that's the substance. That's the 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 the, the basis, the assurance, the confidence of that we that we have eternal life so that our hope is just not a simple well I hope I go to heaven when I die I hope so well I really really do hope I sincerely hope so I'm not sure but I hope so no 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 because this hope is solid this hope is an assurance this hope is a confidence because it's God who promised and he cannot lie it's so wonderful the way it's said in 1 Samuel 15, 29. It speaks about the strength of Israel. What a name of the Lord, the strength of Israel. You know, many, many people in the Bible called on the name of the Lord, and that's what God wants us to do. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and safe. We need to be in the practice of calling on different names of the Lord. Here's a wonderful name of the Lord. Oh, strength of Israel. It says here, also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. So our hope of eternal life and what I should focus on on God's covenant, on God's new covenant, his new testament, is that this is the strength 
of Israel, and he will not lie. Because it says in Hebrews 6.13, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear, he swear by himself. In other words, what God is saying here, what is saying the Bible is saying here, is that when God makes this promise, when he made the promise to Abraham, and he made the promise of eternal life to Abraham, and he, and he made the promise that, that through Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed, and he made this promise, and then he wants to swear by the greatest that he can. And so God looks around, and he says, should I swear by the earth? No. Should I swear by the universe? No. And he looks all around, and he says, I will swear by the greatest thing that I can, and that's myself. And so, therefore, the Lord says he swore by himself. Why? Because there's no greater than himself. He is the ultimate of ultimates. He is the Adonalom, the the Lord God Almighty. And so the Lord of the universe, creator of all, he swears by himself to show the promise is secure. You cannot have a more secure. So the going back to the question, what should I focus on as a Christian on God's covenant? The thing to focus on above everything else, that this is God's covenant, that God has sworn by himself. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's God in the Lord Jesus Christ holding up that cup and said, this is the blood of the New Testament, drink ye all of it. In other words, in remembrance, in remembrance of him, constantly remembering that when he was on the cross, he shed that blood. Why did he shed that blood? To be wounded for our transgressions, to be bruised for our iniquities. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's our hope of eternal life. Thank you for joining us today. Now, has the Friendship with God radio program impacted your life? Well, Tom Cantor and Friendship with God would like to hear from you. So send him an email at Tom Cantor. That's Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom Cantor, C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor. His P.O. Box is P.O. Box 711-330. That's 711-330. Santee, California. Santee, California. 92. 92- 0719201 And if you'd like to impact a lost Jewish person's life by giving them the gospel from Tom Cantor on a DVD and booklet, call us today 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. It's free. 1-800-247-3051.